animals out there? Are you ready? Well, you better buckle up because it's time for the show, ladies and gentlemen. Straight out of your sister's bedroom. It's your girlfriend's favorite podcast. Without further ado, it's the Wing Scoops Podcast with your host, Wade Needham. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Ring Scoops podcast right here on ringscoops.com. I am your host, the webmaster, Wade Needham. And just like previous weeks, tonight is no exception. We have an amazing guest on tonight's podcast. My guest on this episode is a man that has held more microphones than CM Punk, Matt Hardy, and Edge combined that have had women. A man that doesn't take shit from anybody, including venues that have sticky fingers. One of my closest friends that I've met in the business, and I honestly mean that, he is one of the most genuine good guys in the industry. He is the one, the only, ladies and gentlemen, Benjamin Thomas. Benjamin, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, although over after that introduction, I feel like I need to go rescue a baby from a burning building or something. Oh, you know, you know like what? I need to live up to that intro. You you can pull a Chris Masters and go rip a tree right out of the roots and uh, go save people out of a fire in a building. That's very true. He did that. So did Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh, so yeah. not a bad group of people to be in. If I if so, if I happen to be somewhere where a building's on fire, there's a baby in it. I'll make the attempt. There you go. There you go. That's always good, man. No, I really mean that, though. You are like one of the most, I I can count on one hand, genuine good guys that I've met in the business, and you are definitely on that list. Well, thank you very much. I mean, it's just, it it goes back to what you're taught as a kid, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. I mean, everybody knows Adam Pierce, you know, work hard, treat people with, you know, what is it? Work hard, earn respect, and what's the other thing? I mean, I believe in all those things. Yeah, I, I I don't remember what the third one is, but here I go trying to quote Adam Pierce, and I just box the whole thing. But that's fine. And you know what? I'll take the heat on it too because I I don't remember it as well. But hey, how about this? How about well, it's still mine? Just say be cool. <laughs> I like that. Hey, there you go. The Fonz made an entire career out of being cool, so I don't think you know it could be too bad until he literally jumped the shark. But that's another Absolutely. story for a different but time. You know what? <laughs> Yeah, cool goes back to Miles Davis, the birth of the cool. That's oh, absolutely. exactly where that came from. Yep. Because all the jazz heads disguised their music as being hot, so he said, I'm cool. And that created that. In case you never know, that's where that phrase came from. You know, in the last year, I've taken a blues and jazz class, and uh, we uh, spent quite a amount of time, quite a bit of time, about, you know, the uh, the cool jazz with Miles Davis and all that. Very cool. Well, you know how much I love music, so everything brings me back to something musical, it seems. Oh, absolutely, man. And we'll, we will definitely get into the music uh, a little later on, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the wrestling, because that's what we do here on Ring Scoops is talk wrestling. Hell, it's in the name, Ring. Uh, and speaking of Ring, what made you get into Ring announcing, Ben? 
Well, I was, I've been fascinated by professional wrestling since I was a child. Um, I, I had discussed with you the other night, the way I got into pro wrestling is uh, my mother on my grandfather's side. Uh, my mother on my father, my grandmother on my father's side. That's what I'm trying to say. Phyllis Thomas. She, um, one night we went to her home and she was like, hey, you guys want to watch pro wrestling? Well, yeah, sure, Grandma, whatever you want to watch. I was nine, you know. I was like, oh, that's that thing the guy that was in Rocky was in, right? You know. <laughs> and we watched it, and I, I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. And at the end of the program, my grandmother was like, oh, would you guys like to see this live? Because I have tickets. So we're like, yeah, sure, Grandma, whatever you want to do. And uh, we went to the L.A. Sports Arena. We saw Hogan versus Bundy in the cage. At uh, Mania 2, you know, it was in the three cities. I got to be there for the four Los Angeles matches. Wow. And that's where I tell people I caught the bug. I've been addicted ever since. And, um, yeah, I owe that to my grandmother. And uh, my entire career, in fact, has been dedicated to her. We lost her in 95. And uh, Phyllis Thomas, like I always say, was the original world's biggest mark. And if it wasn't for her, I would have never gotten into this crazy business. Wow. Yeah, my, you know, my my story is kind of similar. You know, I had a relative, my Uncle George got me into wrestling. And uh, mm. never, since day one, never been the same, man. Like you, like you said, got the bug. And that was it, man. The rest was history on that. It's always fun yeah. when you can have a family member like that to have those memories with. It was. And what was cool is unlike most people, my grandma was the only one I knew in the early 80s that had cable television. And this was back when cable wasn't the industry it is today. And channels were dying to get content to fill their hours. So one channel, you could watch uh, FCW. You could watch Dusty Rhodes and Rick Rude. And then another channel, you could watch the Von Erichs from Texas, the WCCW. And most importantly, right here in L.A., well, down in L.A. where I grew up, Channel 13 at 11 o'clock on Saturday was a double shot of pro wrestling this week, which was hosted by Gordon Sully and Jim Ross. And it was immediately followed by UWF, which was the Bill Walks national version of Mid-South. And let me tell you, those things spoiled me and created what, what I could call my wrestling IQ. Um, instead of just watching the gimmicks, the over the top people with the farm animals and stuff in WWE, I, or WWF at the time, I got to see guys that got busted open every week. I got to see storylines that were really about heavyweight men settling issues. And so to me, that's what professional wrestling is. It's Dr. Death, Steve Williams. It's Terry Bam Bam Gordy. You know, it's Bam Bam Bigelow. It's Ted DiBiase before he started the laugh during his promos. Like to me, that's pro wrestling. See, I envy that because like me growing up, you know, I grew up in uh, in Beaumont, California. We had jack shit out there in the desert pass. The only thing to watch on TV was WWF. So growing up, that was the only thing I ever watched. And the first time I ever got introduced to anything outside of that was probably when I was like 12 or 13 through the magazines, the after mags. So like, I envy that man. Like, Oh yeah. I used to send results from the sports arena into those mags. Did you? Yeah. I don't know that they ever published anyone because I'm sure if they did, I'd still have a copy. 
Yeah. No, I used to send the results in, and then I'd see the results sent in by somebody else in the mags. But it seemed like Bill After's kid was always at the LA ones, so of course mine wasn't going to get in there. <laughs> nepotism at its best, right? <laughs> the wrestling business has built on nepotism. Although in in wrestling we don't call it nepotism, uh, we call it the bloodline. It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, back in the day, or not really back in the day, it was like maybe, you know, 15 years ago, they had that, that DVD they released, the WWE, the most powerful families in wrestling. And who would have oh, thought watching real them? ones and fake ones? Yeah. And I mean, watching that then, who would have thought that the Samoan family would be as on top now as they were then, right? Well, I, I'm sure I'm sure that the one man who never had any doubt in his mind was Hoffa. Yeah. I'm sure he planned it this way from the beginning. <laughs> Although even often knew he wasn't going to be the guy. Well, it's, you know, it's like, you know, if you buy the majority of a raffle amount of raffle tickets in a raffle, you got the best odds of being the winner, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, I want to, I want to talk real quick about, um, a, you know, here, especially in, in Southern California, a, a historic, area when it comes to pro wrestling and i know that you were there quite a bit in the early days the anaheim marketplace um <laughs> what was the experience like watching shows back then what are some good stories that you have of the anaheim marketplace your favorite the anaheim marketplace was a very unique place to see wrestling um it was on sunday afternoons the show would start about 12 one o'clock you know when families got out of church was that Basically, the advertised time or was that the actual lucha time to start the show you know what i don't think there was even an advertised time if there was <laughs> i was never aware of it All right. i just got there around one o'clock and the wrestling eventually started okay um but it was it was amazing i was one of the very few people that did not speak spanish in this crowd it was a very uh very um uh, cultural place and um a lot of the band a lot of the ruros got a lot of heat because uh when they come out we were the only two white people in the crowd so like fabiano would always come out and shake both our hands just to get heat from the hispanics <laughs> and so we started rooting for the bad guys because it was just kind of how we fit in there and um i saw so many weird ass things at that marketplace i mean I used to see Paul London and Spanky show up every week, um, which was fascinating. So for a while, there were lots of white guys in the locker room, just not in the crowd. Early 2000s, you saw Joey Ryan and Scott Loss there every weekend. You saw uh, Paul London, um, Chris Bosch, B-Boy. I'm sure there's a ton of guys I'm forgetting about. And they would come work the marketplace every week. And... That also helped those guys because it expanded their styles because now all of a sudden they're working Lucha. So it was a great place. It was a lot of fun. It was very unique. Um, and I think it made me more rounded as a person in pro wrestling because I was exposed to another kind of pro wrestling in another culture. Who were uh, some of your favorites that you'd uh, see perform there at the marketplace? Oh, my God. Uh, Black Angel. He came up to that, you know, he'd come out and dance like a male stripper in his mask. And it was just hilarious. Um, there was, oh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Rosa Salvaje. He used to do a gimmick they'd never get away with today. It was very much, he was an exotico. And um, 
he went kind of over the line. Like I remember a couple times he'd sit on my lap in the crowd and get close enough to me that I started to wonder what was going on. Um, <laughs> amazing. There was also the great Lucky Pierre that did a similar gimmick but had a whole different approach to it. But I could do a whole podcast about Lucky Pierre, so we'll just leave it the fact he was pretty awesome. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the was it the Anaheim Marketplace that you became familiar with uh, with guys like uh, like like Black Metal and uh, uh, Ebony Blade and and uh, yeah, yeah yeah a lot of the guys I'd later work with in EWF uh, Matt Sinister yeah Jake well Jake uh, was only like 17 at the time he was in high school. Oh wow! So yeah, but he was he was already six and a half feet tall or whatever he is, um, and so they made him a heel, and uh, he would go out, and he was one of the guys, one of the other white guys that was there, and we would get up and we cheer for him because he was drawing heat from you know basically racism, which <laughs> is a tradition in lucha. I don't want to make that sound like it was a horrible racist place. It's not. We all know that pro wrestling has long, had a long-standing uh, history of uh, using cultural stereotypes. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, but I used to see Ebony Blade there occasionally. Uh, Matt Sinister would come by from time to time, although the two of them were more Rudos Dojo, which was the where uh, where Revolution Pro came out of. That was Ron Rivera's school, which later became PWG. But that's again something else. Um, Matt Sinister was great and that's I used to boo him every week which is why he knew that I would be good as an announcer because he heard the shit that I was yelling while he was in the ring every week and was like yeah it's kind of <laughs> clever and yeah. obviously you've seen me my body's not built for bumping so it just made sense I you know I wish I could have been around those shows at that time, but that was uh, far away from me. But I've heard a lot of really good stories there about the the Anaheim Marketplace, and from what you've told me too, you know, it just sounds like a great place to to go and watch some good wrestling and and have fun with other wrestling fans. It really was. There, it was a very unique place, and while it wasn't the best, I have a lot of great memories of that place. Right on. Um, what what made the uh, the transition from, uh, you know, being in the crowd to being in the ring, doing ring announcing. Well, I'd always wanted to be a part of professional wrestling. I was ignorant enough to think I was going to be a wrestler for a while. And, uh, I started, I, I started working with uh, David Geck who, um, who later wrestled as Mace, M-A-C-E. And at the time he was involved with battleground pro wrestling. And, uh, Pete Bellino had a ring in his backyard. A lot of people remember Battleground Pete. Um, it was down in Fullerton. And I'd go down there and Mike Vega would be there training, who later became Shasta Derevko. The Plague was there. Um, and a bunch of students. I used to see uh, Mikey O'Shea down there at the time, from time to time. And uh, they started teaching me how to take a flat back bump. And uh, I hurt myself pretty badly. Um, I just thought my body wasn't built for, uh, for bumping. It wasn't felt built for the abuse. And the guys are like, well, you already write for a website and we know you can talk. Why don't we make you an announcer? And, you know, I eventually learned how to be an announcer. Um, the first person to put me in the ring, believe it or not, was Jake. He put me on a WPW show with uh, Doc Marley and the Hell Kid. 
And it's a three-man announce booth. It wasn't ring announcing. It was more like play-by-play, and I sucked. I was absolutely terrible. I broke kayfabe. I, I, I did so many things. And then later, uh, Jason Bennett brought back Battleground, and he called me up, and he was like, look, I know you tried to do this before, but I think you're going to be my announcer. Like, I know you're going to kill this. And he gave me an opportunity and put me on shows in New Hall. And uh, if it wasn't for Jason Bennett, I probably would not be a pro wrestling announcer. Oh, wow. Yeah, at the time, he was working at the Anaheim Marketplace as a manager. He was also wrestling under a hood as Abandano. I might be butchering that, but it's whatever you pronounce uh, the abandoned in Spanish. Okay. And uh, he used to manage, uh, he had two tag teams he managed. One of them was called uh, Gorgeous and Young. That was Preston Scott and Lucky. And he also managed Damage Incorporated, which I believe was Craze and Extreme Loco. But uh, Jason, I actually just talked to Jason a couple of weeks ago. He's still one of my best friends in wrestling. And he's a very amazing man in his own right. But yeah, that's the guy that believed in me. And when I was terrible, left me in the ring long enough to figure out what I was doing. And become good at it. And I'll always be indebted to him for that. That's awesome, man. That really is. Uh, I love to hear stuff like that, you know, because um, it's not very often, like, when, especially in wrestling, when you're trying to get in, you know, a lot of the guys see as like an outsider. They try to hide stuff from you. They make it really difficult. Like, like I know it, for me, when I got in, there was a lot of people that put a lot of obstacles in front of me and it was just, it was tough to try to get in there. So to know that you had somebody that had your back from day one on that, that's, that's, that's incredible. It really is. Um, And I heard you mention a couple of names that uh, kind of brought a smile to my face. Uh, The first one that you mentioned was the hell kid. What a journey that that (laughs) man has been on. I love the hell kid. Let me tell you. Um, And I know, I hope he's listening because he is going to absolutely love this. I've known the Hell Kid forever. I used to boo him at the Anaheim Marketplace when he was just like a skinny little kid. Um, I remember he used to cut the most amazing promos. Somewhere I've got a video of him and he's, he's telling the crowd, he goes, yeah, earlier today when I was at my hotel smoking crack with a couple prostitutes, (laughs) they were telling me, I'm the best champion of all. And it was just so amazing to me that he was cutting promos like that at the indie level. Just no Fs given. Wow. (laughs) And he really, I mean, the man, the man is a success story. He was a heroin addict. Yeah. And now he's a drug counselor. He's a multi-time champion in several wrestling feds. And I have nothing bad to say about him. And when I left EWF, he's one of the guys that showed up to bid me farewell when I left California and that meant the world to me. He wow. showed up, pure talent, Michael Candelaria showed up. Hell, Raging Dog showed up. Good lord, I never see Jonathan Cedillo anywhere. Yeah. And he rolled out. And so um yeah, I have nothing bad to say about the Hell Kid. He's always been a pleasure to work with. And fun fact, he's the only wrestler who I've re- announced more than one retirement match for. Really? Yeah, I, I think he's had about nine of them, and I think I'm good for three, oh. possibly just two. Wow! <laughs> no, yeah, but you know, like how you think of the indies, like how you'd mentioned though about you know like his overcoming the you know the 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 addictions and whatnot. Like 
what a what a journey that that guy has been on, you know. And he, I've I've always been a fan of his. During the time working with the EWF, there's a couple of times I tried, I tried my hardest to bring him in, and you know, guys running it, you know, didn't really share the same view as me. But mm-hmm. you know, hey, I tried. You know, a closed mouth does not get fed, and uh, yeah, I tried. But um, going back, another name too that you'd mentioned that brought a smile to my face because the dude, I mean, not only hard worker in the ring, but such a great guy outside of the ring. That's Extreme Loco. Oh man, Extreme Loco is so amazing. I love that guy. I One think of, he's in he's in Georgia now or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still keep in contact with him on Instagram, and he looks like he's the happiest that he's ever been to, uh, to this day. He's always been a happy guy, though. He was always having fun. I used to always, I used to always, whenever we did like a pre-show photo, I'd make a point of standing next to him. And on the whole time, the photographer snapped and I'd be like, I hope you're smiling. You totally messed up the last picture with that expression. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I used to love that guy. I still do. Um, in fact, I hadn't thought of him in years until I just brought him up. And so I'm glad you pointed him out. Extreme Loco was awesome. One of my favorite memories, um, I think it was like 2010. I was at a Empire Wrestling Federation show before I started working for them. And I was there doing coverage for ring scoops. And um, there was a match in Riverside there uh, with Extreme Loco. And they were chasing them out of the building. And he had brought out this gigantic wrench. I have never seen a wrench the size of this thing, man. It was like probably the size of like a Keurig, you know, or a small computer tower. It was just enormous. And they, they chased him out of the building. He went out in the parking lot and got in his car and he left. And that's that was, amazing. That one of my favorite memories of, of Loco, but yeah, great, great workers, man. Great workers. Absolutely. And work, he was one of those guys that no matter what you needed him to do, he would make it happen. You didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. You just said, look, this is your goal in this match, and you could go around your business, and he would get it done. If I'm not mistaken, I believe 10 years ago in 2013, or it might have been 2012, I, I memory's a little fuzzy, I think I might have called his last match in Southern California. If I'm not mistaken, it was in San Bernardino. He was the AWS champion. He took on Brandon Gatson, EWF champion, a title-for-title match where Gatson won the AWS title off of him. I remember that. I was not there for it, but I totally remember that happening. Yeah, I think that was in the indoor batting cage arena. Yeah, yeah, because 2012 is about when I made the transition to EWF, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. That's when Josh Austin was on his way out. Yeah, because I had just come off of um, working in New Wave uh, in San Diego for a year. And I remember in January of 2012, I was at Disneyland with – with Andy Jasek and we were on the train. I'll never forget this. And we were at the grand Canyon part and he leans over. He goes, by the way, our show, um, our show in March is going to be the last new wave show. And it just hit me like out of nowhere. Wow. Cause I love the fans in San Diego. I love the Lucha Libre taco shop that would let me go and put our flyers. in. I mean, that guy, when I show up there, he still is like, Oh, is there wrestling today? Because he would only see me when we had shows. Yeah. And I miss the fans. Oh, my God. I love those fans in San Diego. And basically, as I was coming out, I had, I had filled in for Austin a couple times. And when I was trying to figure out my next move, Jake called me. 
And he offered me the spot in EWF, which was like the night after the final show of New Wave. And so it just kind of was a seamless transition. And to be honest, it was the best move I ever made because I learned more from Jesse Hernandez than I've learned on all my other time in wrestling together. Yeah, I, I loved sharing a locker room with you, man. It was always, you know, I would, I'd be there hanging out, talking to some of the guys, you know, that was cool and everything. But the moment I'd see you come into the room, you just, you lit that room up, bro. Like it was like the, the only other person that I can say that probably did that was a guy like Frank Mott, you know, that just made the room brighter when you guys walked into a room. Well, here's our secret. Um, when you go into a pro wrestling locker room, everybody in that locker room is prepared to go out and put their body on the line. They're going to go out and get hurt. And they're talking about making sure everything goes right for their matches. Me and Frank don't have that burden on us. So we can go in and help lighten the mood and make things easier on all the guys that have to do the hard work. So I always felt like I came in the locker room and I didn't do my best to make everybody's job easier then I was screwing over the boys. And that's always been my philosophy. Yeah, philosophy. I know I just butchered that word. <laughs> it's all good, man. Uh, I, I do the same thing a lot, especially back in the day when I first started out in commentary, I would say things, Matt Sinister, give me the old elbow. Like, uh, what do you mean by that, Wade? You know, put me on the spot. But, you know, this is a great uh, segue to the next question here. Uh, what is your approach when it comes to ring announcing? I've talked about this a hundred times and I'll talk about it now. I'm very aware that I'm not the star of the show. And why I might feel the most ring announcers need to understand that going in. I get one pop. When I come through the curtain at the beginning, I get the pop. I'm not trying to get a pop after that. If I say something funny that gets a pop, that's cool, but it's not the intent, you know? Yeah. You'll also never hear me ever, ever say, I can't hear you or you can do better than that because I honestly feel a crowd only has so much energy. They only have so many of those left. And if you demand they do 10 of them at the front of the show, you've just stolen 10 from the boys that are going to need those later. Wow. That's an interesting way to look at it. The real tragedy is, is when they run out, they run out at the end. So you've stolen those pops from the main event. Yeah. And you've ultimately effed over your promoter because you exhausted the crowd for the f- purpose of your own ego. So I cringe whenever I hear an announcer ever say you could do better than that. Because um, to me, that that's not my job. My job is to make sure that the boys get all the love. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because, like, I've never thought about that. You know, cause, I mean, I've never done ring announcing. But I've never thought about that. When it comes to the psychology in wrestling, every single cog in the machine has its part, has its purpose. And the way that you just laid that out like that makes perfect sense. And I, I respect the hell out of that, man. Well, that's that's nothing I was taught. I just figured that out over the years. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, like that famous quote that if you're the same man at 40 as you were at 20, you've wasted 20 years of your life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I try and learn something at every show I'm on because everything you learn is going to come into some value for you later in life. You know, and that's another thing, too. A lot of people in the business, a lot of younger people in the business uh, need to understand is 
there's never going to be a time that you stop learning. And if you ever hit the day that you feel like you can't learn anymore is the day that you need to get out of the business. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Rock Riddle, I, by the way, I absolutely love Rock Riddle. <laughs> yeah, Rock he Riddle's always, great. He always says, if you're standing there waiting at the curtain to go out and you don't feel like you got to pee, you've hung on way too long. That's time for you to go home. Yeah. And I believe that. Um, I know that my point will get there, you know. Fortunately, what I do, I can do a little bit longer than guys can that are wrestling. Yeah. Because I guarantee when I get to Ric Flair's age, my announcing will be better than his final match was. And that's no <laughs> knock on Ric Flair. I'm just saying. I put less damage over the years. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um. Out of like a lot of the promotions that we've been talking about before, um, like what is like your favorite promotions that you've worked for? You know what? There's I, I have a couple least favorites, but I don't have any. You know what? I learned something important everywhere I went. When I was in Battleground, I was learning to be an announcer. Uh, Jason Bennett was very patient with me. New York Knockout Nikki was invaluable in giving me a lot of pointers. Um. Oh, now I'm going to talk about the two guys I learned psychology from more than anybody. Craze and Stepdaddy. Oh, Stepdaddy's amazing. I could write a book about what I've learned from Stepdaddy. Um, fun fact, you know, Stepdaddy was at my wedding. Really? Stepdaddy was there. Jason Bennett was there. John Ian was there. Um. The only wrestler that I invited that could not make it, Hardcore K got booked in Japan. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Joshua Waldrop, another close friend of mine, was at my wedding. And, you know, I just, I wanted to take a moment to put those guys over. But, um, no, I learned about psychology from Craze and Stepdaddy. And also, when I was watching WPW at the Marketplace, there was about a year where Kendrick was injured. So he would just sit next to me. Because like I said before, I was one of the only people in the crowd that spoke Spanish, I mean, English, so he would sit with me, and I would just listen to him reacting to the things in the ring, and I learned a lot just from sitting there quietly listening to him. That's amazing. Um, when I went to San Diego, New Wave saw me in New Hall, and because I was in my early 30s, they assumed I'd been around for 15 years. And wanted an experienced guy to help book their locker room. And when we need me, they made me the offer. I couldn't bring myself to tell them the truth. So I went down to San Diego. And within a year, I figured it out. And by the time I told Andy the truth, he was like, you know what? You caught on quick. We're good. <laughs> nice. And so, I mean, like, you know, I guess, you know, I was a worker at that point because I worked everybody, you know. And yeah. But literally the thing was, in the sense, <laughs> I really real I realized I was working them, but I also realized that that meant I had to learn a bunch of shit in like six weeks because I had to be able to uh, to live up to this. Well, you know, sometimes on the job training is is the best way to get the experience. Mm -hmm. It really <laughs> is, and Jason Bennett had taught me a really good respect for the business that I had enough of a foundation that I was able to pull that off. Yeah. And by the time I left San Diego, it, I was there for five years. I only missed two shows in five years. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. That's, and that's I was dedication. Really, 
I was really proud of my record there. And I even have the two shows I didn't announce just so I've seen them all. Yeah. And, um, and there is where I learned a lot of stuff. That's where I really learned to work with the crowd. Um, we brought in different names. We did a seminar one day where Adam Pierce came in and did a seminar for the boys. And while I didn't attend the seminar, cause I'm not a wrestler. Um, he did talk to me afterwards and we had a lot of discussion about my role and stuff like that, which he gave me for free. Oh, wow. That's man. That's, and, that's awesome. And now I have another mentor that I'd like to talk over the late, great Lee Marshall. Oh Yeah. Um, I did a show for, again, another guy that I miss every day of my life, Joe Schmo. Joe Schmo was one of my favorite people in the history of wrestling, not named Johnny. And um, I did a show for him at the Toyota Center in El Segundo, which is where the LA Kings rehearse. It was on a hockey rehearsal uh, place. And he hired Lee Marshall to announce the main event. And when I got there that day, Joe goes, he goes, your job is to hang with Lee, listen to everything he says and learn as much as you can today. He goes, he handed me money. He goes, make sure you buy you guys lunch. Your job is to kick it with Lee. Wow. And I just got to follow Lee around while he talked to all the wrestlers who are on the show that he knew. We had Kazarian on that show. We had C.W. Anderson. We had Christopher Daniels. We had... um uh, Steve Carino was in our main event. And so I just, I learned so much that day. Uh, Lee Marshall taught me so much about wrestling, about relating to people, about making connections in the business. And that's a guy that doesn't get enough credit. He even showed me his diamond encrusted gold plated Tony, the tiger watch. That's right. Not a lot of people know it. He was actually the voice of Tony, the tiger. Absolutely. I was marking out looking at that watch. Wow. Yeah, so like I said, I learned from a lot of those places. However, that dude had such an iconic voice too, you know? He really did. What was amazing is I did that show, and then about six weeks later, I was at uh, Walt Disney World. And at Walt Disney World, I don't know if you know, but when you stay at the tea, at the resorts, you have your regular channels, and then they carry all the cable channels that ESPN owns or ABC. Mm-hmm. So you get ESPN Classic in your room, and at midnight, East Coast time, AWA comes on, or it used to. And so we'd spend the whole day in the park, and then we'd roll in at like 11 o'clock, 11.30, exhausted, take a shower, and then I got to listen to Lee Marshall call wrestling for an hour. And it was so cool, because I just worked with Lee Marshall, and it really got, it really completed the experience for me. Yeah, because, you know, it's one thing to see somebody on TV, but, like, when you get to know them and then you start watching their stuff and you got an idea as to, like, what goes on in their minds while you're watching them work, it it hits different. It absolutely does. And so, yeah, that was was him. However, I would be remiss if I didn't say that the only person I can say made me a professional is Jesse Hernandez. You know, Jesse is a guy that doesn't get enough credit. Um, Not at all. You know, a lot of people, a lot of fans, they'll judge somebody's career based off of how many championships they won or main events and all that stuff. 
I'd like to look at people's careers as to like what kind of legacy they have left in the business. And if you look at the track record of people that came through Jesse's school and promotion and that have worked under Jesse and learned from Jesse, his track record speaks for itself. Absolutely. Well, he trained Tom Howard. And Tom Howard trained John Cena. That's yeah. all I have to say. And, and there's mean, there's a lot of people that came out of that UPW school too. Like I talked I talked to Tommy Wilson a few, few weeks ago. He he trained you know with Tom Howard and stuff too. Oh yeah, that's that was the second place I went to wrestling. I um I would go to the Galaxy Theater for UPW because uh, I somehow made friends with Big Swag, and so he would just comp me. He'd like go, hey, however many as you want, just give me your number, and he'd reserve a table for me at the Galaxy Theater. And so I just get to go hang out, and um, and it was cool. I got to meet a lot of those guys. I, like I said, Cena went through there. Um, God, Frankie Kazarian was there. B Boy. I mean, there were a lot of people. Then Samoa they bring Joe. In Samoa Joe. I mean, hell, I remember one night I got to see Regal wrestle Samoa Joe at the Galaxy. Ooh, wow. Yeah, and then when, after when, the match, What year was that? Oh, my God. I'm going to say it had to be 04, 02. Oh, my God. I mean, here, you know what? I will give you a time frame. Yeah. I, I can tell you exactly how you can frame it, because that show also featured a guest appearance by Naked Midian. So whenever Midian was doing the Naked gimmick, that's when it happened. Oh, that had to have been well before 2004. I think he was running that in, like, 2000. Probably. Because that night, they had told us Undertaker was going to be there, and then Undertaker didn't show. Oh, wow. And so WWE, to say sorry, they sent Regal, Midian, and then at the end of the night, the big surprise was Trips. Ooh, okay. Yeah, Trips came out and destroyed the swag army. (laughs) (laughs) Pedigrees for everyone. (laughs) There you go. Golden shovels all around. Absolutely, but it was cool because all those guys got to bump from the guy who now runs pro wrestling. Right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's uh. Oh man, I I I wish I could see that match. I'm sure it's available. Um, all that archive stuff is up. I'll, you know what? I'll even look through my things. I might have it on DVD somewhere. Oof, that'd be great, man. Yeah, because wrestling hit a lot different then than it does now. Like. Not to take anything away from today's wrestlers, but there was there was a whole different group of animals twenty years ago. It really was, and I'm not even going to get into all that. I mean, you know, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to pro wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in twenty years ago, people said the same thing about the guys from twenty years prior to that. It just evolves, oh. and that's the cool thing about absolutely. wrestling. I remember, I remember when those assholes Kevin Steen and El Generico were doing shit the wrong way, and we're never going to make it. I remember when Claudio Castanogli was taking too many shortcuts and would never make it. You know, I used to hear all that, and those guys are the most respected names in our industry right now. Yeah. Yeah, like Cornette calling Owens, you know, a T-shirt wrestler. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. Never make it. (laughs) I mean, as much as I love and respect Jim Cornette, I mean, despite what he's saying right now, 20 years from now, we might be talking about the Bucks the same way we talk about you know, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. And they never know. Never know. Never yeah, say never. Never, never know. Because, you know, we don't control what comes next in wrestling. The fans do. What mm-hmm. they buy the tickets to see is what succeeds. And 
I know that a lot of people are like, well, this is the wrong way to do it. And I've been accused of that myself. But I do understand that if it's selling and making money, then that's what people are going to do because there's not a market for the old way, which, of course, I feel there always is. But that's just an opinion I have about wrestling. No, I feel you on that. We're on the same page, man. Not only that, we're on the same sentence on the same paragraph on the same page with that. Sounds Um, amazing to me. What would you like to talk about now? Well, all right, let's go back. Working, we both worked for Jesse Hernandez for a long period of time. Like that's the pinnacle of of my personal career in the business. Um, you have spoke very highly of Jesse. Jesse, underrated guy. One of my favorite memories of working with you for Jesse at one of his shows was the very last time that we ran Azusa, and I think I believe it was twenty fifteen. <laughs> And I want to talk about the Sticky Fingers promo. Is is that a story that you'd be willing to to talk yeah, about? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I um, you want me to set it up, or you want to set it up? The, well, the the only thing that I remember from that day, other than the promo, was beforehand we were just about to start the show. They'd open up the doors and let like four or five fans in. Then they had to send them back outside because manage the business or the building management lined us all up and wanted to put bracelets on us. And anybody that wasn't working the show that was with us, we still had to pay for them. Yeah. So they wanted to charge the ring crew and shit, not realizing that that's part of bringing wrestling. Yeah, exactly. And I remember yeah, looking I remember. at Sinister and I said, I feel like we're in the, the train depot of total recall. And he, he lost his shit. Yeah. We, well, I got there and I'm, I see all these guys lined up outside. And I was like, why is everyone outside the locker room dressed out? And Jesse kind of gave me a paraphrasing of what happened. And uh, at the time, I I had to work um, earlier that day. So I was late arriving, Mm -hmm. which I was able to get away with because I was the announcer. And I'd been there for so many years. Yeah. Which is not to say kids should be late. I was only late because of work. (laughs) Let's make that clear. Yeah. Then anyway, I got there and Jesse comes over. He goes, I have a feeling these guys are going to screw me on Monday night. He goes, at some point, I might ask you to tell the crowd we're never coming back, so have a promo ready. And I was like, okay, no problem, Jesse. And I had seen what was happening, so I must have cut that promo in my head 50 times before it happened. And we got into the ring that night, and Jesse pulls me over, and I've already introduced the main event. I've got uh, one team, I believe it was RJ Ruiz and Jeremy Yager, and I think they were wrestling Mexican Warrior and someone. Oh, the Friars, Archimedes and uh, Friar Juan. Yeah. And after I introduced him, Jesse calls me over to the corner and I go over and Jesse says, hey, these guys just screwed me on money. I want you to tell the crowd what a bunch of cocksuckers they are, but don't use the word (laughs) cocksucker. Yeah. And I said, okay, Jesse. And I got in the ring and I basically said, we pride ourselves on being professionals and the people at this venue are not professional. They have sticky fingers, and so we're not going to be back. Is basically what I said. And um, the crowd ate it up, and I got to the back, and there were two guys from that union hall that were like, why did you do that? That was a lie. I was like, no, it wasn't. It was the truth. And, and they were like, well, we didn't like what you said. It, so Jesse didn't like getting ripped off. <laughs> so we're at an impasse you know yeah. and that was the only time i've ever been told to have a couple of the boys escort me to my car 
Why? Because they basically said they tried to turn it into since it was a veterans hall that I was taking a shit on veterans, which, as you know, I have immense respect for armed services. Yeah, I would I would never do that kind of thing simply because they were veterans hall. Yeah. But and when I told him, I was like, just because you're veterans doesn't mean I'm going to let you get away with stealing from us. Yeah, no shit. You know, wow. and so that was basically what happened is uh, Jesse wanted me to make things clear. And to, and to be honest, that was one of my favorite nights in wrestling because I got to be a jerk for a change, which I very rarely get to do in person in front of a crowd. I'll say this about that promo, man. Uh, not many times that I have ever seen the expert Matt Sinister, God rest his soul, never seen him pop for a lot of things in person. But to see his reaction to your promo where while we were doing the commentary, we muted both of our microphones because he just like fell into so much laughter. You, you tickled him that night, man. (laughs) Well, you know what, when I first started coming to pro wrestling, I used to go to the revolution pro Rudos dojo a lot. They had a little warehouse in Anaheim and their champ was Matt Sinister which was really funny because their lineup was like Excalibur, Super Dragon, um, Chris Bosch, you know, Zocre, Phoenix Star. They were all little guys doing the newer style, the super fast style. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Excitement was there. But then they had, oh, Disco Inferno, not Disco Inferno, Disco Machine. I, I apologize to Disco Machine for even comparing him. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but their champ was Matt Sinister. And he would come out and cut the rudest promos, and normally I would be his target. Um, I, I sometimes reviewed his matches online, and I miscalled a move. So we'd be like, oh, you don't remember the name of that power bomb, but you can tell me what's on the menu at every restaurant from oh. here to San Diego. <laughs> you know, Damn. And so to be honest, that night I went into Matt Sinister mode, and so there's a reason I popped him. That's great. It, I think he recognized a little of himself in that because I was definitely channeling Matt Sinister. Yeah. Wow. Boss, boss knows boss, man. That's, uh, that's what that's all about right there. Yeah. You know, I, I miss Matt Sinister. You know, he, for those listening, really uh, too. Matt Sinister passed away, unfortunately, about six months ago. And, uh, I learned a lot in the business from Matt Sinister, sitting side by side with him for six years on the announce table. The guy and... was a brilliant mind for wrestling, and he under—he'd been all over the world. He was in Mexico. I mean, he got—he did all kinds of stuff. He got to learn from Sin Bodhi. I mean, he's—he's he's really a guy that was all over. And he was a student at the Heart Dungeon as well. Yeah, I mean, I there's a few people in pro wrestling we lost. I think about every day, and Matt Sinister was one of them. Yeah, you know, I when I when I learned about when when Matt had passed, you know, it 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 felt as close as when I lost both of my brothers in the last five years because he Matt Sinister was my big brother in the business. I looked up to him. He was more than just a colleague. He was more than just a friend. Like I said, he was my big brother in, in professional wrestling. And we had so many conversations at shows, off of shows. We would phone calls with each other, shoot each other texts. We just had such a, a great relationship with each other. And he 
he really helped me through a lot of stuff. And, and I never told him about a lot of the dark times that he helped me through that, that he never knew about, but he helped me through a lot of things. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah. I see when you, when you talk about him, that's the way I would, I would be able to talk about John Ian. Yeah. And if it is my goal in wrestling, if I ever had a goal, it's to make sure that nobody forgets that man's contributions. Well, let's, let's talk about him for a little bit. Let's share some stories about Johnny. Johnny Ian. Ian, well, Johnny Ian uh, was my neighbor. When I moved to uh, Orange, he lived in Orange. He was a basketball coach at Chapman University. And so we always lived near there. And so for years, we would trade off on Sundays, you know. We go to his place for Mania, and then he'd come to our place for whatever the next one was, you know, Hell in the Cell, whatever. In fact, I remember the night that uh, Hell in a Cell, when they did Edge and Undertaker, and he came over, and Kathy made a, Kathy made her homemade macaroni and cheese. And that's how I remember John, sitting on my couch, eating mac and cheese, talking about how much he loved the business. In fact... I had a bottle of Red Rooster in my fridge for 10 years just so that John could put it on everything when he was over. Wow. Yeah. And it's weird. Sometimes I open my fridge now and it's weird not having a bottle of Rooster in there anymore because I always had a bottle for John. Always. Wow. Yeah. He was amazing. And he's helped not just me. I have a lot of close friends that he's helped through a lot of sticky situations. Yeah, I've I've never never had the pleasure to meet John, and uh, a lot of the stories I hear about him, you know, he he sounded like such an incredible human being. He's a guy that I never met anyone that had heat with him, and you know how rare that is in pro wrestling. Oh yeah. In fact, if someone did have heat, I'd be like, "The fuck is wrong with you?" <laughs> Pardon right. my language. Yeah. No. Um. He he ran Mach One, right? Yeah, he ran Mach One. He was also the original ring announcer for both UPW and Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, I mean, he had a hell of a resume. Yeah, absolutely. He used to tell me years before he made it, he used to tell me the strongest man in wrestling is Claudio. Because he told me that one night Claudio just walked up and picked him up as a gag. And he was like, I didn't get light. I didn't do nothing. He walked up and picked me up off the ground. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. definitely that's on point with what a lot of other guys have said. I've heard uh, Kevin Owens always said uh, Claudio was uh, he was a human horse. He is. He's amazingly strong. Yeah. You Absolutely. know who else I've noticed lately on television is really deceptively strong that doesn't get the love he deserves sometimes hmm. is um, now I just blanked on his name. I've got I can see his face in my head. Um, the kid that has the young boys in Ring of Honor. Oh, Castle. oh, yes. Oh, what a great gimmick that guy's got. That guy is one of my favorite guys on television right now. And he yeah. has been for years. He is absolutely incredible. Yeah, that that guy's uh, he's he's in a league of his own when it comes to presentation, uh, getting the gimmick, understanding the gimmick and how to run with it and everything that that guy's just got a great mind. Absolutely. And so just because we're talking about Claudio, I thought I'd bring that up because I really do like that guy a lot. Oh, absolutely, man. Um, you know, the other night when I was out there in Vegas and uh, we were shooting the shit, which was funny because like we just lost so much track of time. 
I think we were talking until well past midnight and we'd all met yeah. up about eight o'clock. Um, one of the stories that you had told my friend and I that I, I want to kind of have you tell here on the podcast, if it's all right with you is, uh, the time that you met Vince McMahon and in Al Snow and Jim yeah, Johnson. Okay, this, I, I will tell both of these stories. They go together because they happened on the same day. And I was, well, a lot of people know I was in-house security for the Honda Center, for the Anaheim Ducks for like 10 years of my life. And whenever there was a pro wrestling event, they would put me as the guy that would check the cars as they drove in because I can recognize the office staff from WWE, not just the guys on television. Yeah. So, you know, they put me up there so I don't stop, you know, like downtown Bruno from bringing lunch in for the boys, <laughs> or, you know. Or just, you know, guys that people know, like, I know what the seamstresses look like. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, because they were there all the time, and I'd always be the guy up there. And I also knew the local guys. Like, if someone walks up, I should be on the list. I'm Dave Marquez. Well, I know who Dave Marquez is, so I don't have to just take their word for it, too. Yeah. So, uh, that day, I was I got there at the building at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I was walking up the, the ramp from a the security office to where the guard shack is at the top of the load in. And as I'm walking up, Vince McMahon's limo comes down. Vince is the first guy there for raw every time. And Vince got out of his car as I was adjusting my baseball cap. And he thought that I was tipping my hat to him. <laughs> so I was just adjusting my hat and Vince jumps out of the limo. He goes, good morning, young man. How nice to meet you. And stuck out his hand and shook my hand and just kept going. <laughs> and I was like, that was pretty badass. I've never told good morning by this sick man. You know, that's kind of cool. And I got up and I was doing my job and guys are showing up all day. Like, uh, I think Gold Dust came in that day because he was a surprise. You know, trips, the whole roster. And for some reason, when Al Snow drove in, I marked out a little. And I don't know why. I was just like, Al, so good to see you. And apparently he went downstairs and went, who's the mark we got at that uh, at that checkpoint? Because that guy went ape shit. And apparently um, they started asking around. And no one else said that I was acting unprofessional. Uh -huh. So Jim Johnson walks up and he's like, we're dying to know who put you up to Ribbon Al Snow. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, excuse me? And he's like, that was brilliant. Marking out for him and nobody else like that really impressed the boys. And so, of course, I realized I couldn't tell him that I really marked out. So I was like, to kayfabe, I can't tell you what happened. And he let me go with that and laid me on me a pair of tickets to the show. Nice. He goes, do you want to come to the show tonight? Uh, we'd be happy to have you as a guest. He handed me a pair of tickets. And um, so I thought that was kind of cool. My marking out actually got me a reward because I kept it under control for everybody else. You know, and I, I kind of want to, I want to think that if it was anyone else that you would have marked out for, it wouldn't have been an issue. But Al Snow is just so fitting for this story. <laughs> it is. It's, it's why it works. And, and the other, oh, I almost forgot another part of that. I was wearing my Cauliflower Alley Club pin, which oh, I man. always wore as part of my uniform when I was working wrestling. Mm -hmm. And like I said, downtown Bruno brings in food for the boys. And uh, he came in, he goes, hi, I'm Bruno, if you need anything. And I was like, I know who you are. And then he saw my lapel pin and he goes, 
He goes, oh, you remember a Cauliflower Alley Club? And I said, yeah, I was there this September when they inducted you. And an hour later, he rolled up and handed me like this, uh, this like lunchbox. And he's like, here, don't tell nobody Bruno bought you lunch. And I open it up. There's a New York strip steak, a pile of mashed potatoes, and some broccoli. Wow. And three onion rings. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, don't worry, I'll keep it under my hat, but I'm gonna blame that son of a bitch Whippleman for this. And he thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> oh, dude, that is that is amazing. I oh. he was a weird I think of him when I watch Young Rock every week and they show Whippleman sitting on the toilet making eggs. I think of him every <laughs> single time. Uh yeah, I watch that too. Um every time they show them on there, I always get the giggles about that because like, you know, sometimes you watch a show like that and you wonder like, what's, what's the true story and what's not what's for television. And I see something like that. And I'm like, there's no way that they made that for television. He had to have done that in real life. Oh yeah, totally. I love that show. Oh, it's a great show, man. Great show. Uh, great actors on there too. A lot of the guys that got on there to portray like the, the dude that does the iron chic, I think does an incredible job. That guy's great. It's weird because they're either really good or really bad. Yes. Their Mick Foley is atrocious. Yeah, but then again, they also got Luke Cox doing Stone Cold, and he's incredible. Oh, yeah, Luke Cox. I'm a big fan of that guy. Oh, yeah, I've been a big fan of his since he was doing work in XPW back in the day. Oh, the Alter Boys. Yeah. yeah. Luke this... and Matthew, was it? I believe so, yeah. A lot of very, stories very. about uh, XPW as well that that a lot of people get. I want to get somebody from XPW on the show. I I, I've, I think I've only done one interview ever with somebody from XPW. In 2012, I interviewed Supreme, and God rest his soul. That was that was a nice guy as well, Supreme. But Supreme I want to. I'll tell you who would be a very fascinating interview. Who's that? You should invite. Jezebel Romo on your show. Okay. She has been there since the beginning. She was the merch bitch for XPW. She did a dominatrix thing. Keep your hands on to yourself. Get in line. Hand me your fucking money. Like <laughs> she would whip those boys into shape at the, uh, I mean, I would, I could do a whole interview with her just about XPW merch. Wow. She is a very fascinating person. So, that's a free plug for you. If you want a great show, talk to Jezebel. You know what? I think I will try to work on that and try to get her on the show in, uh, in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Yeah. In fact, her or, or of course, Joey Chaos. If I were going to cover XPW, that would be where I would start or I would see if I could get a hold of Cats. Or uh, maybe uh, Kleinrock. Kleinrock would be a great place to start. And you know who else would be a lot of fun is Kloss. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I've met Kloss quite a few times. My buddy, uh, uh, Deshaun, he is like real close with Kloss ever since the GXW days. Um, as a matter of fact, I ran the website for GXW back in 2006, and I did some voiceovers on some of the videos, and it caught the ear of Kloss. And he asked my friend Deshaun, you know, who I was, and then I met up with uh, Kloss at the EWF 10th anniversary in 2006 and got some of the best advice ever from Kloss, where he, he had suggested to me as an aspiring announcer 
go to school, get a degree in communications. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah, He's an auctioneer now. Is he? Yeah. I ran into him about a year ago at an MPW show and I was happy to see him. Yeah. Kloss is awesome, man. Yeah. And he was hanging out with t-shirts just like he has been every <laughs> time I've seen him in the last 20 years. The first time I ever heard about t-shirts and how he got that name, I just, to this day, I still giggle when I think about that. And I can, I can, I can say the word t-shirt to my buddy, Dennis, and immediately he'll go t-shirts. I sell t-shirts, t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Everybody, I don't even know that guy's real name. He's t-shirts. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? That's how it is in wrestling. I don't want to know people's real names. Like the day I ran into Rock Riddle at Disneyland, I don't want to know that that's somebody else. I saw Rock Riddle at Disneyland, you know? That's well, awesome. I didn't even know Rock Riddle got out and about. Oh, I went to him. I went, uh, I ran into him uh, on a Wednesday in October because we were both there for a pass holder screening of uh, The Legend of Ichabod Crane. Oh, wow. And we legit, I'll find that photo somewhere. I have a photo of all three of us posed in front of that um, that copy of the of the White House that's in the foyer of Rape Moments with Mr. Lincoln. Uh-huh. Yeah, we got a picture of me and Kathy and Rock Riddle in front of that thing. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny, you know, the amount of people in the business that you can actually run into over at Disneyland. Oh, my God. I ran into so many people there. I, I ran into the Young Bucks there one time. Yeah. I ran in I ran into uh RJ, of course. RJ was there forever. I ran into DK Murphy there all the time. Who let DK into Disneyland? I don't know, but I ran into him. In fact, I posted on my Facebook, I was like, I always run into a wrestler at Disneyland. Today I ran into DK Murphy and then I wrote close enough. <laughs> Did I ever tell you the story about how I got a lot of heat with him when I first came into the business? No, I'd like to hear that. Well, you know, Dennis and I, we did a, a, a podcast episode about guys that look like wrestlers and guys that don't look like wrestlers that are in the business. And at the top of my list of guys that were wrestlers that did not look like a wrestler was DK Murphy. And I said that he looks like if you got Booger from Revenge of the Nerds and taught him how to back bump, you've got DK Murphy. But you know what? There's a place for that in wrestling. That's the greatest thing. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't take too kindly to that. And then, of course, you know, he started nitpicking, saying, you know, I'm a horrible announcer or commentator because I didn't put over the power bomb the right way. And I'm like, you're nitpicking at this point, bro. And plus, this is really like my rookie year with EWF. So, you know, give me a give me a little bit to settle in, you know. But that's, that being that's, said. I have so many precious memories of that guy that I do feel my life is better having known him. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm joking on him. I'm, I'm, I'm joshing on him like big time right now, but the DK is a good guy. I've invited him out to my house several times. We've had parties and get togethers. And I just want to say something that only about a, a fraction of our audience is going to understand. If you're waiting for it, we're not going to talk about Jake, the snake Roberts now. So oh, in my case God. you're waiting for it, we're not bringing that up. Yeah, yeah. And let's just leave it like that. Yeah, that's that's probably best right there. Absolutely. Uh, I'll switch gears here. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about your meeting of Paul Heyman. Okay, this is, I, I kind of want to start talking about my show coming up, so I want to kind of make this my last story, but it's really good. Okay. I, when I worked at Honda Center, I was there on the swing shift primarily and the graveyard. I was there the night that they had Lesnar versus Velasquez. 
And my partner said, hey, we have to walk the fighters in. Can I walk Velasquez in? I was like, of course. So I get Brock. So I'm waiting outside Brock's uh, minivan when it pulls up. He's in like a big expedition or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I open the front door and the first guy out of the back of the van is Paul Hayden. Wow. And I look at him and I kind of marked out and in my mind. I was like, holy shit, Paul Heyman. And then immediately I went, of course, Paul Heyman's here. And um, and then all his entourage got out. Now, Brock was in the zone. I don't think Brock ever even realized I was there because he clearly was already in his own head preparing for the match. Yeah, I didn't even extend my hand because I could tell he was there was nothing there in his eyes. He was already in the zone. So I walk everyone to the locker room, and then as I drop them up, Paul Heyman goes, can you point me in the direction of catering? And I go, oh, no problem. I'll walk you over there. I'm headed that way myself. So we're walking down this hall backstage, and I go, Mr. Heyman? And he looks at me. He goes, this is about ECW, isn't it? (laughs) And I just smiled, and I put my hand out. I go, I just want to say thank you. And he shook my hand. He looked me in the eye, and he said, that's why I did it moments like this and that's all i needed to hear you know wow what a yeah and i shook his hand i pointed out catering and i walked away and he did as he left later that night when he went by our security room he he said goodbye to me and he remembered my name was bye ben and i was like oh bye mr Heyman." and so that was i i gotta tell you i had goosebumps same as when i met vince oh dude that is too cool man it just you know it's exciting because there's all the people in wrestling. Those are two guys that really changed the business. Oh yes, definitely visionaries. In fact, to bring it all full circle earlier, I talked to you about how my youngest memory of the best wrestling was UWF, the old Bill Watts stuff. Uh-huh. The first time I saw XP, not XPW, ECW, it made me think of mid South. And I was like, Holy shit. My grandmother would love this. Yeah. As she, while she was a very Christian woman and she was not down with any of the dirty angles that involve sex or something, mm-hmm. she had no problem with violence and blood and wrestling. Cause as she put it, when you hit a man in the face with a chain, he bleeds. If he doesn't bleed, it's bullshit. It, yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and while my grandma thought it was a hundred percent real, she at least realized that violence and blood had its place. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, ben, before we head out, do you have a, do you have enough time to play a game of name association? Absolutely. Okay. Only got a couple of names here. Um, just the first thing that pops into your head and then we'll keep moving on like, like a, like a lightning round and then we'll get to right. upcoming appearances and plugs, shout outs and advice. Uh, first name, Gary Yap. Gary Yap's a very, very interesting individual. (laughs) (laughs) Gary Uh, brings a lot of... Gary's somebody that's not afraid to challenge the norms in pro wrestling. Oh, yeah. Although Gary's also not the guy that's very good at listening when you tell him why something will or won't work. He'll insist it will and find out the hard way it doesn't. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I think Gary would tell you that himself. I'm not talking any smack. Yeah, Gary Dev. I mean, he was the lead guy on King of the Hill. He's a professional. He knows what's up. He just likes his pro wrestling a little zanier than the rest of us. I, you know what? And you know, like you said, that's. I mean, that's not a bad thing. No, uh, no. Uh, next name: Frank Mott. Frank Mott 
is amazing. Frank, I love Frank Mott. Uh, when I go to an EWF show and Frank is there, I always feel like things are as they should be. Yes. Um, Frank, Frank used to be a comedy writer when he was younger. He also did some ring announcing and, and helped out in booking and stuff at the Grand Olympic. And he even had a match or two under his belt. So Frank Mott, to me, is a very, very, very important connection to the history of the business I love. You know, he also he did some work with Rocky Marciano back in the day, too. Yeah, absolutely. Frank, I love Frank. In fact, when Frank and his wife come to Vegas, they always let us know where they're staying. And we always go have a couple of drinks and something to eat with them. I mean, Frank doesn't drink. He likes Coca-Cola. But... um we hang out with them every time they're in Vegas because I absolutely love Frank Mott and his beautiful wife, Marilyn. Absolutely. She's outstanding as well. Great, great people. Um, Anchors Away. <laughs> Anchors Away is great. Anchors Away is what reminds me of the great heel tag teams that weren't afraid to show their ass. Uh, those guys, I mean, they get their pants pulled down and they'd be wearing Scooby-Doo boxers. and <laughs> They were great. They were one of the last tag teams to really get away with doing all the ambiguously gay stuff without it coming across as homophobic. And that is a very, very hard thing to do in modern wrestling. Yeah. And they did it masterfully. Uh, the next name is another person that is uh, no stranger to having no fear to show his ass, and that is Tommy Wilson. Tommy Wilson, I think, is the best unsigned wrestler out there. Wow. Every year, my standard joke every year about the PWI 500 is it's got to be bullshit because I refuse to believe there are 500 wrestlers on planet Earth that are better than Tommy Wilson. Yes. I mean, there might be 20 or 30, but there are definitely not 500 of them. Um. Tommy, I have worked with everywhere I've ever worked, and he's been nothing but professional. And let me tell you this. This is wonderful. I, I, um, I'm an ordained minister. I recently became ordained, and I performed a wedding a few weeks ago. And I got up. I welcomed the crowd. And as I started speaking, Tommy Wilson walked in late, took a seat in the back row, and it took everything in me to not stop and go, holy shit, that's Tommy Wilson. <laughs> but I didn't think it'd be appropriate in the middle of a ceremony, but um, yeah. <laughs> I spent a great day with Mr. Wilson that day. He actually sat next to me at the reception, had a great time with himself and uh, Michael Candelaria had a really good time. I remember the other night you were telling me about that and it, we got to get you on the podcast again down the road. So you could tell us about that day, especially with like certain gift that you got. Oh, yeah, that, that's a whole nother podcast. I can't even get into that. That might need to be a Zoom one because there's no Adele involved. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll plan that for the next couple of weeks. All right, we got a couple more names here on the list. Uh, Dave Marquez. Dave Marquez is somebody that doesn't get their respect. I feel that's due to him. Um, a lot of people talk a lot of smack because he doesn't always pay a lot. You know, they, ooh, exposure bugs. But I have never dealt with... Um, even once with Marquez in a manner which I didn't feel was he was professional. Mm -hmm. um, to be honest, I consider Dave a great friend, but our relationship has nothing to do with pro wrestling. Um, in fact, when I see Mr. Marquez, all we talk about is Disney. 
Uh, just recently I had Richie Slade on the show and we were talking about Dave Marquez and he had the same thing to say that Dave Marquez, you know, there's a lot of talk about him, but you know, Slade's got a lot of respect for him. And I had mentioned the Disney thing. That dude is an encyclopedia of Disney history. Dude, he opened Tokyo Disneyland. He was one of the people that went over and taught their guest services how to do it. Really? Yeah. Like he, he also had a lot to do with the opening of the European one. Wow. Like he legitimately, he's a, he has 20 years in with that company. I did not and know that. He was one of those, he was the boss of those guys in the plaid jackets that escort the celebrities around. Oh, wow. That's, that's what he did. And so that's why he knows everything about that park. Yeah. And let me tell you, I know you're a pass holder. Reach out and pick a day to meet him at the park and just tell him, I just want you to take me around and do the tour. And he will show you fascinating things. Oh, I will definitely do that thing. Um, thank you for the suggestion on that. You know, I've, I've, it, I've met Marquez a couple of times. We've had some decent conversations with each other, but I've, I don't really know him. So that'd be a great time to get to know him. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of that guy. Uh, next name on the list is Black Metal. Black Metal's very interesting. Okay. Um, hang on. Hang, I had to take a drink real quick. Oh, okay. I thought. <laughs> no, I thought no. Were, I, uh... I met I met Black Metal uh, when he was 16 years old working for Martin. Mm-hmm. I've watched him grow up. I've watched him go from being a young kid who thought he was hot shit to a veteran of wrestling who really understands the business and understands the ins and outs of it, not only for American style, but for Lucha as well. And um, there's a lot of people that don't get along with him, which is fine. I've always gotten along with him. Um, Of course, I worked with him outside of pro wrestling as well. But he's someone that really loves the business a lot, but sees it from a little different perspective than a lot of us because he's seen a lot of different things in wrestling. Um, he used he used to go stay at Silver King's house, you know, and learn how to be a wrestler. And um, he also learned a lot from a lot of other. I'm trying to remember the other luchador that mentored him, but he actually spent a lot of time in Mexico, so he has a different perspective from a lot of us. Yeah, oh, he does. You know, he he, um, he does have a huge passion for the business. And, See. You know, there's like you said before, there's, you know, there's a lot of guys that probably, you know, don't don't like him, but mm. I respect his passion for the business above all. He has yeah, a lot of respect for it. Yeah. And he doesn't when he sees things that he doesn't think are right for what his vision is or for pro wrestling in general, he doesn't sugarcoat that. And that's important, too. Yeah, I learned a long time ago. Listen to what he says, not how he says it. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's my take on Jake. Um, the expert, Matt Sinister. Um, I love the guy. Like I said earlier, um, I always loved his promo work. Um, he was brilliant when it came to that. Um, and a really nice guy. Um, it took some getting to know him. You had to get through the exterior to really get to know who he was. But once you did, he was amazing. Um, Sebastian Ice. We're not going to talk about Sebastian Ice today. Jesse Hernandez. Jesse Hernandez is brilliant. 
Jesse Hernandez is one of my heroes in the pro wrestling business. Um, you know, I was talking about uh, being in Florida and being to watch the ESPN every night. Uh, I remember one of those nights I was, it was about 1230. I think it was a Wednesday and they bring on Bruiser Brody. And I don't know if you know, but Bruiser Brody might be my favorite wrestler of all time that I've never seen. Oh, wow. I have an absolute obsession with Bruiser Brody and what happened in Mex in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Anyway, he comes out in, um, he was King Kong Brody in AWA because King Kong or, uh, because there was already a Bruiser, I forget that Dick the Bruiser was there too, so he wasn't Bruiser Brody there. But they go, they go. We've got you know King Kong Brody here tonight, and let's look at this poor young man that drew his name. And they shoot over to the other side of the ring, and there's Jesse Hernandez. <laughs> and Jesse got the almighty shit kicked out of him that oh, night. Wow. <laughs> And I went and talked to Jesse about it. I said, Jesse, I saw you wrestle Brody. And he goes, yeah. He goes, Brody loved me. He goes, whenever there was nobody uh, on the card that he wanted to work with, he'd go, give me the Mexican. Oh, oh And geez. he said that he worked him a ton of different places. Just because they get places, there'd be guys that would be afraid to work him because of this reputation. Mm-hmm. And so Jesse would work him. And um that was a fascinating fact I did not expect to learn about Jesse Hernandez. But he's he's a brilliant mind for the business, and I'm absolutely 100% a Jesse Hernandez guy. Same here, man. Same here. Uh, ben, uh, any upcoming appearances, plugs, shout-outs, advice for anybody listening? Yeah, absolutely. I have a huge show coming up. January 28th, I am going to make my return to pro wrestling with West Coast uh, – Wrestling company. We're running at the wheelhouse with an 815 bell time. And I'm excited because I haven't been involved in wrestling in a long time. I made an appearance at the uh at the benefit for SoCal Crazy and it kind of caught gave me the bug again. Yeah. And so uh I'm looking, I've got the card right here in front of me, and I definitely want to talk about those matches. All right, and uh, for those that are wondering, the wheelhouse, that's in Hemet, California. Yeah, absolutely. Hemet, California, uh, doors are 745, bell is 815, tickets are available at Eventbrite. They're $20 pre-sale at the door, they're going to be 25 so you might want to make your plans early. Um, Would you like to hear the rundown of the matches, sir? Oh, absolutely. Okay, we have a lot of guys we talked about. We've got uh, Incredible Anthony Idol facing Richie Slade. We have a grudge match. Jameson Stafford, who, to my knowledge, hasn't wrestled a match in about 10 years, is coming back to wrestle Judge Joe Dredd. Jameson Stafford was always a a guy that was around in New Wave Pro, and he's always been part of the West Coast team. Uh, We've got the Wild Card Championship Triple Threat Match, Manny Mars versus Jew Diz. Versus Vito Fratelli. A lot of younger up-and-coming guys. Um, Manny Mars is a, is pretty good. He's a, he's a rookie. Um, he's been... He, he kind of has an issue winning matches without cheating. But, you know, we've all seen those guys before. We've got a World Heavyweight Championship match. We're going to have Brandon Gatson is the West Coast Heavyweight Champion. We'll be taking on Tommy Wilson. And I don't even have to tell you how off the charts that's going to be. 
Uh, what a rivalry between those guys, too. Absolutely. Those guys have been going at it. But those guys were going at it 10 years ago when I was working with them in San Diego. Yeah. And Rick Ellis, let me say, is one of the most underrated professional wrestlers out there. I always thought he was really good. Um, he's got a great look. He's got a great intensity in the ring. And um, unfortunately, he bears a strong resemblance to a nefarious pro wrestler, which I think may have hindered him a little bit. But he's an outstanding wrestler. And if anyone's not thinking about coming to Hemet, trust me, if you roll out for Brandon Gatson versus Tommy Wilson and Rick Ellis versus Adam Ginsburg, it's going to be fantastic. Sounds Ginsburg like and night. Ellis are in a non-sanctioned street fight. Like I said, they've been going at it forever. And and me, me and Rick Ellis had some words a long time ago. I don't even know where I stand with him at the moment. But it's a really exciting time for me to be back in pro wrestling. And if anyone hasn't been to the wheelhouse, they have a full bar, which is nice. It's always nice to be able to have some drinks while you're there. And uh, it's a great, fun place to go. So we're going to be... Uh, very family friendly. There's not going to be anything that your kids can't see. I mean, there's going to be some violence. It's wrestling, but nobody's going to be uh, using profanity or anything like that. Sounds like it's going to be a great night of pro wrestling action. It's going to be amazing. And like I said, I haven't actually hosted a full show in probably like three, four years. So it's really exciting for me to be back in wrestling and it's exciting to be in front of a crowd. And I can't wait to be there. It's also exciting. There's still a sizzler in Hemet that I'm going to get to have that all-you-can-eat soup and salad bar. <laughs> that and It's a great sizzler, too. I've been there a couple of times, just right down the road from me. You'll love it, man. I, I am really looking forward to it. Um, I'm hoping to see you out there. And on a bigger note, anyone who's listening, I hope to see you out there, too. Come up, say hello. I don't, I don't do these too often, so I'm really looking forward to seeing all my friends. The only thing that's going to stop me from going is going to be the weather. Other than that, 99.9% chance I will be there. Awesome. I'm happy to hear that, Wade. And I wanted to take a moment to thank you for having me on the podcast today. Um, I haven't done a podcast in a long time, and I think yours was the last one that I did. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember I, I remember cut the, doing that uh, interview about Cauliflower Alley Club, and I was sitting in my car in front of a laundromat in Orange, <laughs> California, watching the, the my uh, laundry spin while I was conducting the interview. It had to have been like 2014, 2015, I believe. Well, it was before I moved to Vegas, and I moved here in October of 15. Okay. Yeah, no, it had to have been early 2015. I think that was when I was doing the series of interviews with uh, – with a ton of talent, including the infamous uh, Mondo Vega interview. Oh, man. Yeah, I hear that you have him coming up. Yes, Mondo Vega will be on the show pretty soon, and uh, he's going to have free reign to talk about whatever he wants. All right. Well, I'd just like to say right now, if he says anything negative about me, it's bullshit. Oh, and I will call him out on that if he does. (laughs) No, no, just let him know that I always say if he says anything bad, I will call him bullshit. For sure, man. Ben, thank you so much, man, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I had a great time today, and we've been talking for, what, 90 minutes, and it feels like about 20. Yeah, enough. We're going to have to do a part two down the road. Heck, I'm down. Whenever you want to get together and do a uh, podcast, you know me. I'm always willing to talk. 
I'm never at a loss for things to say. And, you know, and that's one of the things I love about you, man. You have such a passion for the business. You have a lot of stories, a lot of history, a lot of respect for it. And I have a lot of respect for you. And there's a lot of different things that we should definitely be talking about on a part two in the next couple of weeks. But again, Ben, uh, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to drop a teaser for that. Oh, okay. I have an incredible story about Sonny that will be included in there. Ooh. I have actually, I have two incredible stories about Sonny. I just remembered a second one while I was saying that. I got a great Sonny story. I'm going to tell you about um, the one pro wrestler on my bucket list that I've never met that is my dream to meet. And that's enough of a teaser, I think. And we got to talk about Eddie the Puto. Oh, yes, Eddie the Puto. By the way, Eddie is not actually, I know his name contains a gay slur, but for anyone wondering, Eddie was in fact not a puto. In fact, how he got that nickname was from something that was actually the opposite of being a puto. He just didn't do it very well, and we'll leave it at that. All righty, fair enough. Ben, again, thank you so much, brother, and uh, I hope you have a great night. You know what? Uh, thank you so much for having me on, Wade. And we'll look forward to seeing everybody June, uh, excuse me, January 28th at 8.15 at the Wheelhouse in Hemet, California. Tickets at Eventbrite.